Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Don't Praise the Machine. I'm Alexander Holland, one of the hosts of the show. And as always, I'm sat digitally next to my number one pod puffin. He's going to be... John Maloney. Hi, everyone. And Sorry. Yes, no, you said it. just saying hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. That's all I, I, I want to do. I wasn't expecting the hello. That's thrown me off. <laughs> so I was going to say... Take it from the top. Take it from the top. Mama, take this bridge up off of me. I can't use it anymore. <laughs> it's getting dark, too dark to see. Feel like I'm knocking on episode 74. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And one of like your faves. I've, yeah. chose, I've chosen one of you. I've managed to choose one of John's, the three musicians that he likes. I've managed to pick one. <laughs> yeah. You'll have to find something next week that rhymes with an Otis Redding lyric. <laughs> Otis, Otis Redding or French band Air. <laughs> That's it. Those are the three. Otis Redding, Air, and Bob Dylan. <laughs> oh, that was what that was what was on your Tinder profile. That's what got Jacinta in. Yeah, I like uh, Moon Safari. <laughs> oh, Cherry Blossom Girl, I reckon's a really good song. <laughs> Cherry Blossom Girl. <laughs> Before when the when we started the video to do the podcast, uh, I noticed that your your head was right down the bottom of mm. the screen. There was just tons of headroom. And yeah, I said we should be unique and be the first podcast to just take that to its logical extremes and we just have a mm. bir- bird's eye view video of the podcast. <laughs> so just pop cameras in our ceilings and every week yeah. to YouTube we'll post the podcast and it's just heads with little, <laughs> little, arm, with little arms pointing out sometimes in microphones. <laughs> That's going to be revolutionary. Mm. It's going to be a podcast we can say it was influenced by Grand Theft Auto 1. Yeah, exactly. What do you call that when something's kind of an overhead perspective quest game? Uh, I think you call it a bird's eye viewy. Yeah, okay. The old bird's eye viewy games. <laughs> <laughs> like Zelda. And how has your day been? It's been good. I'm um going to court tomorrow for the first time since the pandemic. Every Wow. Every hearing since early 2020 that I've done has been a bit like this podcast, digital. Mm. That's why when you saw me, I had the camera angled so it was just the very tippy top of my head because I don't want to look, mm. I don't want to seem overbearing, so I just angle it away <laughs> so it's just a tiny little crest of my head so I don't <laughs> offend any of the judges. But, uh, yeah, t- tomorrow... <laughs> It's kind of like a, it's like Japanese bowing kind of thing. You want <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's a you hierarchy, project. and so I project subservience. So <laughs> tomorrow I'm going back in. I've got to, I've got to put pants and shoes on, which is going to suck. Oh man, yeah. I just I like the safety of just being able to go. Well, not that I've ever done this, but just knowing that if it all went to hell. You could slam your laptop shut and just yeah. pretend you had a blackout. It's kind of a little safety blanket. Yeah, you could. <laughs> to do that in court, you have to pretend to have some catastrophic bowel issue that forces you to leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> There's a much greater social cost to that than the blackout. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs>
you just when you're at home, you can just hurl your laptop against the wall if, if it all gets a little bit too stressful. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, sorry, guys, I had a bad connection. Go, really? Because <laughs> the last few frames appear to be a blur of you, your spinning study. And we heard, we heard you screaming, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" And then, and then we saw your gritted teeth, <laughs> and just your boot heel going. <laughs> In, into the camera over and over, going, turn off, turn off. <laughs> and then just, sorry, guys, it's a bit of a technical issue. <laughs> bit of the old technical snafu there. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hate being a lawyer. Bloody, oh, sorry, guys. Bloody Vodafone. <laughs> <laughs> So we had a we had another hyper DPTM moment this week, John, which is always a mm-hmm. gift because it means mm. it's very easy to find things to talk about. Something you real sent to me, and yeah. Thought, this is everything that this is actually not what you think I'm gonna. You think I'm gonna say something else, but I got two things this oh. week. This one was I've been when sending you lots of gold. You've been sending me lots of gold. This mm. one was when you sent me just a photograph of Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese <laughs> yeah. being hand shook by an enormous Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. That's what you really sent me. I think we need to come up with a we need to come up with a term for these kinds of things when lots of worlds combine to form mm. the perfect DPTM topic i called it i'd written down hyper dptm moment this week yeah where a kind of the familiarity of an australian prime minister uh being <laughs> in being engulfed by a 90s basketball star <laughs> yeah, it's just perfect true. swallowed <laughs> that was the colliding of worlds yeah i've got on my notes it just says shack in town brackets manifesting because i felt as though <laughs> i i had That's brought good. a Somehow we'd brought about that state yeah, of affairs. That is actually quite good. It could be a DPTM <laughs> law of attraction manifested. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Moment. The world's starting to become a little bit more of, of a DPTM landscape. Yeah. yeah. Shaquille O'Neal, aka Shaq, aka Shaq Daddy, aka Big Aristotle. I looked up Shaq's <laughs> nicknames. Right. I'd forgotten that one. Yeah. And when you sent that to me, yeah. uh, there was no context and I had, <laughs> I could only guess what had caused this meeting. And my guess, um, well, actually, Shaq is a person that you and me send to one another in memes and things mm. quite regularly because yeah. he's just everything you could want. Uh, be- yeah. Uh, because he, he was a 90s hero of us all. Mm. And mm. now it's, he's a board member of Papa John's Pizza in the United <laughs> States, which is excellent. And so I thought that maybe Papa John's, when I saw the photograph, mm. I thought maybe Papa John's Pizzerias, uh, it's a big American pizza franchise, yeah. multinational. I thought maybe Papa John's was launching in Australia. I thought that mm. was the only explanation but no 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 maybe you can explain to the listeners why the why the big why big aristotle was is here is here well uh, i'm still not entirely clear on it because i've heard people saying that they're going to 
see him speak. I think he's doing some kind of uh, that's what I'd read. Yeah, kind of a Henry Rollins esque, you know, <laughs> like like an an evening with the shack attack, <laughs> and uh, he'll just tell you because he's actually a very funny guy. He just talks about his days with Orlando Magic and how he formed a kind of a love-hate kind of fraternal rivalry with Charles Barkley and how Kobe Bryant said that he would have been the best player in the NBA if he wasn't so lazy. Yeah. And, you know, things like that, how he became an investor. Yeah. And particularly an investor in... Uh, in saturated fats and trans fats, <laughs> he was. I read. He, I read in an interview that he once owned a hundred and fifty-five Five Guys burger joint franchises. Wow, far out. He's he's um he's he's an absolute business mm. success story. Because he he thought to himself wisely enough, there are two things in this world that people can't get enough of: one, me, Shaq, and two. <laughs> Trans fats. <laughs> I love I love the idea that he's just got so much money that he can just just anything he eats, he goes, I really like this. So I'll just mm. I'll just buy shitloads of of it in a, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this so much. Like I'll, he could just go anywhere. He could go to Chipotle and have one yeah. burrito and go, yeah. this is really good. I reckon other people will think this is really good. And then he just calls yeah. He just calls his broker and says, can I just have a billion control. dollars worth? Can I have a <laughs> can I control? Steak. Can I have a control Chipotle, please? <laughs> they say, he says to them, he says to them, do you have honey mustard? And they go, no, that's not on the menu. And he goes, well, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> Takes out his mobile phone and has the conversation while he stares at the worker over the counter. <laughs> and then he hangs up the phone and then the, their phone starts ringing. Yeah. And then the person behind the... And then the, the, the worker goes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I understand. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. Shag, that honey mustard will be right with you. <laughs> and welcome to the company. <laughs> um, and I think apparently his, his people reached out to Anthony Albanese's oh, wow. people. And said, um, I've heard that you're doing something with the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. That sounds yes. like a good idea to me. So I'm going to come on stage for a baffling two-minute entree to your <laughs> press conference. I read that it was 15 seconds. Yeah, it was, it was just kind of this weird. And then he said something vague like, um, uh, everyone knows that the shack loves Australia. And then... <laughs> And then shook Albanese's head and walked off. And I thought, and I thought, am I having a hallucination? What's happened? <laughs> and then all of our issues were solved. Yeah, we've been wrestling with this as a nation for two hundred years. Yeah, and Shaq's come on for fifteen seconds, and he's made it all better. <laughs> and and that's the it. magic of Shaq. <laughs> thank you, Shaq. Thank you, Shaq, and thank you, Prime Minister. You done it. <laughs> um, and then I was reading some of the feedback. So I don't know. Maybe mm. maybe we can explain for our international listeners what's what's the mm. Australian voice to Parliament, the Aboriginal uh, voice. Maybe we can explain to our listeners what the what is the proposed Aboriginal voice to Parliament. And perhaps some of our listeners are not that familiar with uh, Australia's Indigenous community. It's fairly esoteric. Um process for the international community i guess still but basically australia is embarking on a process whereby they're going to going to have a referendum to decide whether to amend the constitution 
to achieve a few things, as I understand it. One, provide some kind of formal recognition to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians, First Nations Australians. Mm. Two, provide um, a kind of voice to Parliament, which means that basically there'll be a a mechanism which is set up in the constitution that permits uh, somebody to be a kind of permanent voice who speaks on behalf of First Nations peoples. And I think there's a variety of different ideas about how that could work. First Nations people who have been on the continent of Australia for, I think, latest estimates are 80,000 years? Yeah, it could be that long, at least 65,000. Mm. So it's a, it's a very ancient set of cultures and, yeah, it's an interesting process that's undergoing that we're currently undergoing uh and of course the first person you think of when you think of these kinds of <laughs> multifactorial and complex issues is uh is shack um, absolutely when i mean who could be more informed about the issue <laughs> than shack <laughs> than shack yeah but good on him he's lending his voice to a good cause and uh, it's a little bit like, it reminds me a little bit of Dennis Rodman going to North Korea, but um, <laughs> it is, uh, it is got, a bit like that. I've got to say, I have much more sympathy for Shaq than, than Dennis. I like that uh, Shaq just turned up and said, look, you know, we've got 65 to 80,000 years of First Nations people on this continent. The first colonial settlers came in 1788 and then he just reeled off a whole bunch of deep Australian history over the last mm. 200 years. And I think yeah. people were shocked they that was like, off the cuff. Fuck. Yeah. He's a subject matter expert. <laughs> he was talking about he was dropping a bit of Botany Bay, a bit of Port Arthur. People was going, man, <laughs> this guy right. is very well read. He's, he's done some reading on the plane. He read the entire fatal shore on the plane <laughs> over from <laughs> Los Angeles. To Canberra. <laughs> and then he said something like, um, uh, if you need anything from me, let me know. Yes. And th- and I think Albo Albanese, the Prime Minister, just said, yeah, we'll do. I need you to get off the stage now. <laughs> <laughs> first, first order of business is to explain your role in this whole process. Um, but there you go. So we we uh we salute you, Shaq, friend of the show, and I Yeah. I'd love to go and see him live. I haven't actually organized for that to happen because until that press conference I was not aware of the fact that he was down under. But uh Yeah. I think I think maybe that could have been the reason why Shaq's people reached out to Anthony Albanese. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Al, I've been, uh, I've had an exciting week. Um, okay. And I've, uh, Colin and I have been working on something behind the scenes for some time now. Producer, which is, producer Colin, he's been. Yeah. I, 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 thought, yeah Colin. I thought he was busy this week. Uh, he, yeah. He was a little bit slower he's, to reply to my emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember him um, coming to me and saying, you know, I'm a bit snowed under. And I said, look, just. See this through, Cole. It's got to be a priority. We've got to make it happen. And this week, we did. Basically, I'm very excited because I was a game, a game, a board game player when I was a kid, mm-hmm. 
And I grew up like a lot of kids of my generation with uh, Mattel, mm-hmm. the board game uh, mega company, Mattel. We all remember them, I'm sure. I don't need to explain to people who that is. Is They're beloved the world over and sure. associated with some of the best games that uh, we've all played in our childhoods. So we all remember fondly. And through a lot of Cole's legwork, DPTM have been able to partner with Mattel uh, to produce a game, the working title of which is called Splagmosphere. And and it's a concept that I've been working on with, with Colin for some time. Some people will remember the 1991 board game Atmosphere. Uh, and, of course, in the, it's worth pausing to note that the fear is spelt F-E-A-R. Right. And uh, sometimes it goes under the name in some jurisdictions. I think in early on it went under the name Nightmare. Yeah. Um, maybe for copyright reasons and then was changed. And now it's more widely known, I think, as Atmosphere. And it was an Australian invention. Uh, 1991 it came out. Big year for the podcast. And, um, and it achieved great success the world over. And since then... Multiple iterations of the game have come out. I think there was a 30th anniversary edition of the game which came out, which was crowdfunded. And we all, I think, will have some memory, visual memory of seeing, maybe not all of us, a lot of us, of seeing the Grim Reaper-esque host of the game Atmosphere. Yeah. uh, Who And basically this, this game works the same way, Atmosphere. So the idea is that you... We'll distribute it on DVD and VHS okay. and comes with a board. The boards are fairly basic. The board's a bit of an afterthought, to be honest. It's just kind of a pastiche of Trivial Pursuit and Monopoly, and you've got to get to the middle of the board. But while you're doing that, you put the DVD on and it starts a clock, which runs down 60 minutes, and you've got 60 minutes to win. Mm-hmm. And if And if you don't win, then the guy who sporadically appears on the screen wins and um your the objective of the game is to escape a dystopian realm called the machine uh-huh. and you reach a place called the pod brothers studio which is on ploof mountain and while <clears throat> while trying to do that the splagmaster who is a shadowy and mercurial figure he keeps you on track but also occasionally toys with you taunts you poses random challenges for some of the players um, and generally dishes out arbitrary justice as you're trying to make your way to Bluff Mountain. <laughs> and you're aided as you go by different spirit guides. Um, and we're looking at, well, Cole and I are looking at getting people like Hilaria Baldwin, Tom Arnold, Bill Paxton's uh, people from his estate to come on board and perhaps get some sort of, representation of them on the screen as you're playing as well maybe some animated characters that they can do voices for we're still in negotiations with them to to get that to happen and if you get stuck you've got a limited number of what we're calling duchy's tip cards which you can use to give you tips as to how to get over the whatever hurdle you're facing whether it's a a quiz question or something similar, or you haven't got the right powers to get through a particular point in the game. And we actually managed to get the guy from the original atmosphere game who played the gatekeeper, uh, who's the kind of grim reaper esque character. 
and he's a guy called Wenenti Nosal, who's a Belarusian actor. Okay. Uh, he, he wasn't doing much, so we've been able to get him to reprise his role. <laughs> and as I said, we gotten some, we've gotten some seed funding from Mattel to make it happen. So that's very exciting. Oh, and I, I can't wait for this. We'll have to get the DPT Emmas to write in and maybe they can make some mm. suggestions about challenges or yes. quizzes that that's you could face while idea. you're trying to get to Ploof Mountain. <laughs> trying to get to the, the Pod Brothers studio on Ploof Mountain. Yeah. I'd, I'd li- and I'd like it personally. I'd like it to be exclusively uh, compatible only with VHS, no yeah, DVD. I think you're right. I think it lost something when they went to DVD. I was thinking recently it's funny that they never ended. They never actually attempted to resurrect it in any other kind of streaming formats as far as I'm aware. Which Oh, yeah. Why isn't it on fucking Netflix? Mm, would have been a lot more technically feasible to do it with modern technology than it was playing, you know, doing the DVD in the machine and you're just playing it and it's just time's running out and you have to, every time the gatekeeper comes on, you have to kind of pretend that you're interacting with him, even though he's just somebody who's speaking to it or has at some point in the past spoken to a camera. And also once you've played it once or twice, you remember exactly when he's going to appear and what he's going to say. <laughs> That's true. There wasn't, I didn't think of that, but you're right. Of course there were, there were, it was pretty much just the game was the game. There couldn't have been any real variety, I don't think. In the DVD version, there was some variety because you were able to use a remote oh, yeah. to plug in how many players you had and so on. So the the version that you were playing was somewhat dependent on the settings. But the video was just the video. And you had to say, when he would call on you, he'd say, he'd yell something. He'd often kind of appear very abruptly and yell something. Yeah. And you had to respond. Fuck you! <laughs> and you had to respond yes my gatekeeper <laughs> it's, a uh, bit, it's a bit bdsm it's a bit it is isn't it it's a bit it's a bit subby so this this <laughs> in this case it'd be yes my sh- yes my schlag master <laughs> So one of the things, Al, that I was thinking about during the week, and it was because somebody used this expression, which is now in a Australian language, you know, kind of Australian idioms dictionary, but I think is still pretty unknown to people outside of Australia, which is the expression doing a Bradbury. Right. Yeah, sure. Of course. I know what it means. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then that. That reminded me of the whole story behind the expression doing a Bradbury, which I just thought it would be fun to revisit because it is the details of it are quite remarkable and strange. Yeah, please. And maybe for our non-Australian listeners, 
it will be a interesting excursion into something they might vaguely remember but not know much about or might not know at all. For our Australian listeners, it'll be hopefully a pleasant reminder of something which seems to me peculiarly Australian, but also just a, an amusing story. <laughs> and that's the story of Stephen John Bradbury, who is a Australian former short track speed skater and four-time Olympian. And he had a quite a long career stretching back to the very early 90s. He was in a world championship team in the 1991 world championships that wow. did quite well. And because he was born in 1973, uh, so he's no spring chicken. And the thing that he's best known for, in spite of that, is uh, his success in the 2002 Winter Olympics. So by that stage, wow. he was already fairly a little bit past it by speed skating standards. But nonetheless, that became the highlight of his career, at least in most people's minds. Maybe not people who. Uh, kind of have an inside baseball perspective on speed skating. For, but for the rest of the world and for the Australian public, he's celebrated for the 2002 Winter Olympics. And that's because he took what I think was then Australia's first uh, gold medal in the Winter Olympics yeah, and maybe, right. even the, maybe even the first gold medal of any Southern Hemisphere nation in the Winter Olympics. I could be wrong about that, but I think that's the case. And... What happened was he he goes to the Salt Lake uh, Winter Olympics in 2002. He wins his heat quite convincingly. He scored a, he did quite a good time, but in the quarterfinals he which occurred on the same day, you've got to do several races in fairly quick succession and obviously speed skating is not an easy thing. He's allocated the same race, the same race as this guy Apollo Ono, who yeah, was the Apollo Anton Ono. That's right, Apollo Anton Ono, who's this favourite from the uh, from the US at that time, and another guy called uh, Mark Cagnon of uh, Gagnon of uh, Canada, who was the defending world champion. So he was up against the favourite from the host nation and the defending world champion, and only the two top finishers for, from each race would be going on to the semi final. So his chances of getting even to the semi-final were judged to be pretty limited because you know as i said he was he was probably the one of the older competitors at that time he's an australian guy we have no record of even meddling in this kind of stuff and he finished third so he thought okay well that's it i'm being eliminated but then gagnon was a, or it's probably gagnon sorry because he's uh, canadian was disqualified for for obstructing another racer and so uh, that meant that Bradbury then got through to the semifinals. Mm. And his coach said to him, look, semifinals onwards, you're not going to have a chance because yeah. you're too old, you're, you're too slow, everyone's <laughs> everyone's time's uh, kind of lapping yours. So the best thing you can do is hang back and hope for some kind of miracle, hope that basically everyone else crashes out and you win. And the chances of that happening, I guess, are you know not negligible because – Speed skating is one of that one of those sports where this is something that can happen, but not great. And he, I think, already felt like, well, I've made it to the semifinals. I've made a bit of a name for myself just doing that, so that'll do. And he's in last place in the semifinal race, and there's a guy, defending champion King Dong Song of Korea, and another guy from China, another guy from Canada, and they all crashed, and. 
that paved the way for Bradbury to get through to the final. So he's in the final and nobody can believe it. Again, <laughs> even further off the pace. And his coach says, well, you got definitely got no option now but but hanging back. So he's he's basically only there because he won a heat and then – and then another guy got disqualified, and then and then everyone crashed. So it's incredibly unlikely that he's even in the final. And then he's about fifteen meters behind everyone else, with fifty meters to go. And then there's a huge pileup, and everyone everyone else in the race crashes out right on the last corner, and you know less than fifty meters to go. And he just kind of is you know, is plodding along at the back, taking his time and hoping for the best. Cannot believe his luck and just... just Gently slides over the line. Just gently slides over the line. And, I and can I, picture it, him putting his arms out like a wingspan and just, that's right. just looking around like, this cannot be real. This must be a, this must be a dream. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, and then he becomes the first gold medal winter Olympian in the Southern Hemisphere. There's a delay after the race. Then the judges say, look, we're not going to order a re-race, which I guess they might have done. Oh, okay. So Bradbury's the winner. <laughs> and as everyone in Australia was like... A nation celebrates. Yeah, everyone in Australia, because we're also sports mad, was like, yeah, we'll take it. Bradbury's our new hero and he became he became this kind of local he he developed this kind of folk hero status yeah. because of the unlikeliness of his win and because he was kind of a slightly odd but i think quite likable guy i remember he had like yeah, classic frosted hair. tips yeah had some 2002 frosted tips he had he, he had, had a, a, little bit of, a little bit of trendy edge to him yeah and australians love nothing more than the underdog, it's a big part of our yeah. national mythology. So it kind of fit neatly into that whole thing that this guy who was up against it, who really had no realistic chance of winning, won. I think the aspect of that narrative that didn't fit as neatly was the fact that he didn't win because he was the fastest or the best in, in any measure. But he was the one who didn't fall over. And that's sometimes that's all that, that's all that matters. He showed up. He was there on time. He laced up <laughs> his skates. Exactly. He didn't sleep in. <laughs> and and he'd also kind of not been very, you know, he'd he'd been a fairly because there's not a lot of fame and fortune in Australia to being a speed skater. Nobody knows who the speed skaters are even now. I don't think. So you know, there's all these stories about how he was making his own skates and trying to sell them and had to borrow money from his parents to go to training and all yeah. this kind of stuff. And then suddenly he's this, he's this hero. And then, and then he had a, a he retired straight after the 2002 Olympics, which was the smart thing to do yeah. because you're not going to pull that off twice. Don't want to defend that, Stephen. No. Why sully your reputation by going out there again and getting romped in the first heat the next time? <laughs> so then he became... A commentator, he had a kind of post-sporting career career on television as a Winter Olympics commentator. He was on Dancing with the Stars. He was on yeah. Australian Survivor. And he got an Order of Australia for winning the gold medal. And he was in the inducted into the uh, Sports Australia Hall of Fame. So 
now in Australia, you will still quite often hear people say, maybe I can just Bradbury it. Yeah. Or maybe maybe I can just do a Bradbury, you know. And I sometimes think about that in legal contexts <laughs> where I'm thinking, well, I hope that. I'm up against it here. Yeah, I hope that somehow everything else crashes around me and I'm just left miraculously standing because if I have to survive on my merits, I might be in trouble. <laughs> um so there you go. Just reading the Wikipedia page, the unlikely win turned Bradbury into something of a folk hero. Many newspapers mm. hailed Bradbury and held him as an example of the value of an underdog never giving up, regardless of the odds against them. And then mm. uh, reading on a little bit lower, it says here, Bradbury's feat has entered the Australian colloquial vernacular in the phrase doing a Bradbury, mm. meaning an unexpected or unusual success. <laughs> Yeah, and then I think quite recently there was a there was a dictionary of Australian words and phrases, and that was that was immortalised in there. So I'd like to hear DPTMers from around the world. I'd like you to consider using that phrase, mm. thinking as you do of our man Stephen Bradbury. And I'd also just like to add that I'll just I've just looked him up what he's been up to. Yeah. Recently, and it says here on news.com.au, this is from this year, this is from March this year. Australian Winter Olympic champion Stephen Bradbury saves four teens from drowning. Oh, yeah. I think I read that too in my research. I wonder if that, does it fit, does doing a Bradbury fit there? Did they, yeah. what, did, he, did he stand a very little chance of saving four teenage girls from drowning, but he did it. Yeah, I bet, I bet what happened was he was drowning even lower and then he <laughs> lapsed in. <laughs> Lap, and then he, he laps into unconsciousness and the buoyancy of his body pushed those four teenagers up. <laughs> he said, oh, you know, they, they were just interviewing him on the, sh- on the shore. He's really soggy. And he went, you're bloody not going to believe this, lads. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this week's episode of Gun Praise the Machine. Yeah. We've loved talking to you about Blockmosphere, the great new game coming out as we partner with Vettel. An exciting time. We've loved talking to you about the Shack Attack. Big Aristotle himself. Love talking to you about Stephen Bradbury, and we hope you do a Bradbury this week. I'm, I'm John Maloney. And I've appeared this week as always. My pod brother, Derek Trandler Boland. Thanks, Derek Trandler. We'll see you next time at the podcast.